Hi, my name is Scott Short with Mason Winnipeg Mortgage, and it's 2018. My mortgage license number or the NMLS number is 225998. I'm not going to be giving any mortgage advice here reference to needing my license number, but I'll give it to you anyway. Uh, Create this podcast up to help consumers and friends and family uh, really kind of be a guide through the whole credit maze or what you want to call the word, but credit is definitely, you know, um, it's, it's a mystery for a lot of people and they keep it that way just to you know, make sure no one tries to manipulate the system on one in the spectrum. The other in the spectrum we're looking at that, uh, you know, we should know how credit is looking, how what they look at to make sure we have some goal for ourselves to focus on to make sure our credit is the truest light of our ability and desire to repay um, our debts, you'll call it. And if you know what credit, that credit runs across all streams for between mortgages, car loans, insurance for your car, for your house, whatever, even for your job. So people pull credit for your job. If you're looking for a finance job like I do, that credit is something to look at to make sure you are have good habits and you have that you, you know, if you're going to be loaning people money and your job is to make the decisions and not the total decision because, you know, for my world, it's underwriting to make the final decision, but just your ability to, um, you know, do your job that they want to make sure, you know, you're, you're, you, you maintain your own house reference to credit. So we're going to talk from a book that I really like and I really have used for many, many, many years. I've given out way to a lot of clients just because I like her, what she says, her, you know, a lot of her insights. So the author's name is Linda Ferrari, F-E-R-R-A-R-I, like the car, right? The name of the book is called The Big Score, Getting It and Keeping It, Buying Power for Life. Now, the book was copywritten in 2008, which means most of the day is probably 2006, 2007-ish, because of you know, time for you know, editing and publishing and getting the books out and blah, blah, right? So let's use that for just a timeline, right? So 2007 or 2006 for data for references to this book, but a lot of the, the basic Bones of this book are still, you know, on in line on on point. So that's why I still use the book for a source because I've not found another book since then. I have some other books I have out here that they're actually written about the same time. Yeah, another book is is called Credit Score and Credit Reports by Evan Hendricks. He wrote it, and his book was pub uh, kept copyrighted in uh, 2007. Another book I use for uh, credit. But today we're talking about Linda Ferrari's The Big Score book. Really like it. She has a great handout 20 page um handout to how to how to uh repair your credit you want to call it you can get it back into good standings if you have some hiccups in the past so one of our podcasts we'll be talking about this but this is podcast number one so hey here we go guys podcast number one and today's date is december the 8th 2018 so uh good time to start stuff right so i can get ready for the next year now the, i'm gonna start in chapter two of her book i'm gonna and linda's i've talked to linda via the internet, right? <laughs> and she's okay with me uh, pubbing this. Make sure I just pub her, right? So I really appreciate your books. I'm going to kind of do a lot of stuff right out of her book. And, um, you know, I'll tell you when she says stuff first and when I say things, right? So chapter two is the flaws you need to know to survive. So you need to know where the flaws are at in the system that you need to have corrected. Even though you did not create this mess, somebody else created the mess, but you suffer the consequences of that mess, right? 
So let's start out here. In the second paragraph, page 23, says, yet it's important to remember that current scoring system was developed in the 50s, 1950s, right? So she says, think about that. This system was in place decades before, or a decade, not decades, a decade before astronaut Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon, as we all know, late 60s, right? The television sitcom Leave it to Beaver hadn't been aired. Singer Elvis Presley, Elvis Presley was just beginning to make young girls swoon. Okay. <laughs> so it gives you a little light of when the system was created, how far back. You know, data is going to be, you know, more up to date, but the system itself is, you know, 1950s-ish, right? She goes on to say, says, if you, if you consider the antiquated system at work, you can begin to understand why problems exist. Credit scoring is always behind the times. The extent of the problem becomes even more apparent when you realize that. Until 2004, credit reports and scores were more or less inaccessible to consumers. Without access to those scores and reports, people were helpless. Makes sense, right? They lacked the ability to question the system. They could not request changes or demand improvements on their scores. They were in the mercy of the credit bureaus and creditors, right? Not a good place to be. So you flip to page 24, and the next um, section, we'll call it, is called The Flaws. And here she, she makes a great point here that states that, you know, if you go to criminal court, you're innocent until proven guilty. And that's what normally, you go to criminal court, right? Hope you never go to criminal court, right? <laughs> but in her conversation here, so she calls this, chap, this chapter, says, you are guilty until proven innocent. And I've seen it happen more times I like to talk about in my mortgage life. So I've been doing the mortgages since 1990, right out of grad school with a master, or, yeah, master in finance in the uh, popular mortgage world. So it's been a bit. But uh, I've seen a lot of stuff happen over these years. And you think it's better, but it's not better yet. Still still a lot of a lot of flaws out there, a lot of problems. So guilty and proud, guilty until proven innocent is a true statement in credit world. Meaning that if you're, creditor makes a mistake and misses a digit and puts somebody else's bad credit onto your credit because somebody inputted the key wrong or misspelled your name or put an address on or somebody in your household has, you know, you're, you're, you're the senior and you have your, your son or vice versa. I've seen some parents mess up the kid's credit <laughs> and uh, some of these things happen and you definitely make, make sure you are on top of your credit in reference to this. So, you know, that's, that's a problem we've seen throughout the ages that, you know, you have to prove that you are a good credit risk, that the information on the credit report is erroneous. And if you want the 50 cent big word from my attorneys, they always use the word injurious. You've injured me. So if you can't get a job or can't get mortgage or get a higher interest rate because somebody illegally or inappropriately or er erroneously reported your credit, um, then that could be a problem for them that they need to correct that. Problem is, like I said, guilty until proven innocent. You got to come in and prove you are, you know, that information is incorrect and they got to fix it. And there are legal statutes on timelines to check it out. And I highly encourage anybody and everybody to use as your resource is going to be this book. That's a good place to starting point, but also use 
the Federal Trade Commission, www.f, as in Frank, T as in Tom, C as in Charlie, dot gov, Federal Trade Commission dot gov, FTC dot gov. That is the regulatory body for credit. Also, we're doing a call list too, <laughs> just for side benefit. But uh, that's the place you want to go to if you have any credit issues. Let's say if you're somebody, uh, if you have an identity theft, that's where you want to go to, and it breaks down what you need to do, how to, uh, you know, uh, what steps are for identity theft, how to clear it up and get it cleaned up and do what you got to do there. But the definitely great information on the FTC.gov, Federal Trade Commission website, to help you with, hope some of you are experience because I've not heard anybody had a good time trying to clean up identity theft. Never a fun time. So in this chapter here, guilty until proven innocent, she says, yes, it runs counter to the essence of the U.S. Constitution, but in the eyes of industry professionals who implement the credit scoring system, you are guilty until proven innocent. The burden of proof falls on you, she says. Gotcha. If you fail to convince the professionals that you are not at fault, you will be held accountable. And sometimes, even if you prove your case, getting the creditors and the credit bureaus to alter their records is virtually impossible without filing a lawsuit. And that doesn't always happen, happen, but then sometimes you got to go there because some of these guys are pretty persnickety that, you know, even though you prove they're wrong, they keep on back as you're, you're wrong. It's just kind of fingers point each other, right? You know, and, you know, trying to sue a huge conglomerate is pretty, you know, pretty crazy. But Federal Trade Commission, they have a, they have a bigger hammer, <laughs> a lot more money. So, you know, that's why you want the Federal Trade Commission to be on your side. And that's usually a place you want to use their, their resources and, you know, go there. So let's keep going on here. Then she says, this system doesn't favor the consumer. Case in point, consumers must produce actual documents to have inaccuracies removed from their credit files. While those furnishing the credit information only have to send a tape to disk transfer. That means the creditors only send their tape with all their, you know, plus and minuses. All about your credit is going to come across on a tape. I'm not sure how it does it nowadays, but, you know, this is back in, you know, they probably still do that. I don't know. This is 2006, 7, 8, whatever, right? But I'm assuming, hopefully, it's not a tape, right? Because <laughs> we don't have cassette tapes anymore. No, we have CDs. Well, CDs are pretty much, well, who cares? I digress, right? So keep going forwards. Uh, let's see. Okay. This is unreasonable. When creditors first apply a derogatory credit report about you to the credit bureaus, they are not required to provide documents, proof of signature, or proof of actual ownership of their claim. Now, I've seen many times, and my attorneys in the past have had the same problems, is that when a creditor, you know, tries to collect from you and you cannot, you won't, for some reason, you don't pay them, they turn into collection or charge off. We're not going down that road. That's too much accounting stuff, right? But let's just, let's use the collection part, right? So they say they can't collect. So at that point, most of your creditors will sell off to a credit collection company. And they'll sell it to them at pennies on dollars. Some they'll have some arrangement, maybe fifty cents. I don't know, but that's their job. They figure it out. Then those companies will call, come after you and try to get you to pay them. So they want to make that, you know, they want they want some money on this stuff. So that's their job. That's their that's their just their role in life, right? And what what we've seen is a lot of the bad credit companies out there, collection companies, that they will basically give up on um, on their um, what's the word? Sorry. They'll give up on trying to collect and they'll sell somebody else. And then what happens there is when they try to sell somebody else, 
than, you know, someone else owns it at that point. That's just talking about ownership. But we've seen in the past is where some people will actually um, sell it, yes, but then they'll keep on the credit report showing you still owe them. That's not legal. They cannot put on your credit report information saying you owe them money when they no longer own that account. So that's the erroneous injurious and all the other fun words, right? That's where you can you know, pop them, but, you know, just who wants to sue people because it costs money and time and blah, 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 right? So that's why they talk about the ownership piece here, right? Then she goes on and says, yet it's only after the damage has been done that consumers can challenge the accuracy of credit accounts, right? Isn't that kind of sad? You got a way to get injured, right? Injurious, before we can actually do something about it. So it's kind of like, wow, you know, my credit's now got a ding on it or a derogatory, we're going to call the word. We call them dings, it's just, you know, who knows? <laughs> so that is what she talks about in reference to your instant, your guilty until proven innocent, right? Then on the next page, 20, page 25, the new, the new uh, section says, their mistakes, your loss, and credit reporting errors. She quotes from the U.S. Public Interest Research Group, or better known as the USPIRG, small s, their acronym, conducted a 30-state study on the subject of credit scoring and published their own report called Mistakes Do Happen, colon, a look at errors in consumer report, sorry, a look at errors in consumer credit reports. And that's the name of that. Their study revealed that 79% of consumers' credit reports contain errors. What's more, there is a one in four chance your credit report contains an error serious enough to cause you to be denied credit. We all know it's not good. Okay. So, like I said earlier, that, you know, denying credit for home loan, credit cards, car, car loans, car, uh, home insurance, car insurance, even a job. So, can you imagine that somebody wrongly puts that data onto your credit report? That's wrong, erroneously, injurious, all the other words. And that helps, that stops you from getting a job. Then what do you do, right? So that's pretty horrific. She goes on and says that through her credit improvement operation, she's now personally analyzed, this back in 2008, maybe one seven or six, right? 14,000 credit reports. Her company has analyzed thousands more. And she says, why is that important? She can count on, on one hand, five fingers, right? out of thousands, maybe 20,000, 30,000, who are many, right? On one hand, that uh, says I, she says, I count on one hand those that had zero mistakes. That's a pretty horrific stat, seeing that, you know, very, 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 very few people have an accurate credit report. That's important for you to know because statistics indicate that 79%, let me talk about earlier, 79% of credit reports have errors. Her vast experience shows otherwise with as, as many as 99% having some sort of error, but a, misspell, uh, a misspelled name, wrong address, incorrect balance on the account, or inaccuracy reported, serious derogatory. So those things can also, you know, all that data right there can hurt your score. That's part of the model stuff that we don't know the true model, but we know enough about the model to, you know, uh, be cognitive of to help our credit best we can to reflect what they want to see. Because credit scores... Higher score you have from from a credit scoring wise is going to be that high score eight fifty means you're very 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 low probability of bankruptcy 
you go down to the 500, 400s, 300s, uh, that then you're high, high probability of probably find bankruptcy or having, you know, your, your credit is, is torn up really bad because anything below 600, you're starting to get some derogatories that are hurting pretty bad. I tell clients pretty much your biggest effect on credit scores will be any derogatory credit, meaning a late payment, collection, charge off, whatever, in a bad way, not a good way. That last 12 months is the biggest effect on scores. So 12 months back. So from the day you pull the credit back 12 months, anything in that window will affect your score the most. You're going to see the biggest hits on your credit score to drop it, right? And a lot of people, you know, if you have a high score and you have a derogatory hit, it's probably not going to be as bad. But if you have like a 600 or lower score and you have a derogatory hit, it's going to be the hardest hit. So there's a lot, lot, a lot of, uh, you know, things you got to worry. You got to be a cognitive of there, right? Okay, let's go on page 26. Page 26, the secret formula. Okay. She says, lenders hold consumers to a high standard. They insist that consumers build and maintain a credit score in the 750 area, right? Or else suffer substantial punitive consequences. So from a mortgage lending standpoint is that what we see nowadays in 2018, and also in 2019, most likely, any credit score above 740. Now, when lenders, from a mortgage standpoint, look at credit, we're only looking at one, one score. So you're, if you're by yourself buying something, we're going to throw out the high score, throw out the low score, and look at the middle score. So if, if there's two people, we're going to lower the two middle scores. If there's three people, lower the three middle scores. Higher goes, how many people there are, we're looking at the lowest person's middle score. And that's what we're going to base our credit decision off of for approvals, for interest rates and loan structures and blah, 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 all that stuff, right? So that's what we look at for a credit score. So that's why she's saying in 750, uh, I'm saying 740, but 750 is a good place to be because it's in the arena, right? Or area, I should say, right? So if you look on mortgages, you know, we look at a lot of first-time home buyer stuff in California that, you know, the Cal HFA, the California Housing Finance Agency, or the GSFA, Golden State Finance Agency, those first-time home buyer programs uh, are designed in, and Couch of Eight's actually state statute that you have to have a middle score of 640 or higher, no matter what kind of loan product, conventional or FHA, they don't care, or VA. They don't care which one it is. It's just 640 or higher is their bottom line middle score of all borrowers, right? So if you're on there, you need that. So that's why we look at 640 being, you know, that number. So that gives you kind of relevancy of where you're at for credit scores. So let's keep going forwards here. Um, let's see. Da, 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 okay. Down she goes into the next paragraph. It says credit creditors profit from consumers' lack of knowledge. According to the latest credit score survey commissioned by Consumer Federation of America in 2008, consumers could save $28 billion a year in lower credit card financing charges if they improve credit scores by only 30 points. Can you imagine 30 points? That ain't much. Let me repeat that. That's $28 billion with a B a year. That's, that's, that's horrific. Credit card companies making just a killing because of errors, and that's just not cool. Then she goes on to say, the survey also found that only one-third of those surveyed even knew what a credit score was, let alone how it impacted their financing, financial well-being. And she goes to breakdown. Breakdown, 31% understood the meaning of of a credit score, then a mere 47% knew that Experian, Equifax, TransUnion, TransUnion 
are the three national credit bureaus. 72% believe that with credit scores under 700, they could get a low-cost mortgage, which, yeah, they could. And let's see, keep going. 29% thought a 400 to 500 credit score, you really got to work really, really, really hard to you score that low. <laughs> Not a good way. We're qualified then for a low-score mortgage. I don't know anybody living that, that, that low of uh, credit scores. But, hey, there may be somebody. Good luck with that. Only 45% realize that consumers have more than one score. There's three. 74% believe that scores were influenced by income. Not true. They don't care. Credit, your income does not matter. You make a dollar or a billion dollars. They don't care who you are. They look at how you pay. 34% believe that the state where you lived and their ethnicity influenced their score. Not true either. Then she goes on and says that the statistics are disturbing enough, yet even these do not reflect my experience, her experience, Melinda Ferrari. After working with thousands of credit challenge consumers, she finds that less than 15% of individuals she spoke with possessed a basic understanding of the credit reporting system. And hence, sorry about that. This is why I'm doing this podcast. I know other people have done it, but you know, it's always nice to hear other people's uh, experiences. So our next one, we're going to talk about, uh, we'll go into another part of the chapter. We'll keep going through her book. Uh, it's a great book. Like I said, I'm going to you know, read her book to you. Also give my insights so you can actually have some ideas. I, should, I should encourage you to buy her book if you want to. It's called Linda Ferrari, The Big Score, Getting It and Keeping It, Buying Power for Life, and published by Consumer Power Press. So that's the guys who got it. Like I said, when I bought this thing, it's like, about 30 bucks. It's worth it. You know, it's probably, you know, let's see how many pages, roughly a little shy of 300 pages, maybe like 278 pages. Not bad, but a great book to have. So um, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye for now.